Welcome back to Let's Talk About Today with Arvin. Happy New Year, everyone. It's 2021. Things are looking good. Uh, today on the show, I have Henry Mann, a U Ottawa student studying uh, political science at the moment, very involved with uh, the U Ottawa Liberals and the Liberals in general, very active and uh, smart, intelligent guy. Henry, how's it going? Good. Doing well, thank you. Just coming off of a nice uh, winter holidays and looking forward to the new semester and uh, the whole year and what that brings. Awesome, awesome. And of course, I have uh, Anessa here as well. She is also a U Ottawa student, uh, pol- also a political staffer, a very hardworking, very smart, intelligent woman. She's joining us from BC. Anessa, how's it going? Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome, great. Well, I'm so glad to have you both here. Uh, hope you guys had some, uh, you know, nice, relaxing holidays. Hope everything's going well. We went through some pretty tough stuff in 2020. I think it's safe to say that uh, COVID-19 completely flipped our world upside down. Uh, and there's a variety of factors that are in play this year. Uh, of course, the vaccine uh, is is a very, very uh, you know hot issue, a hot topic being talked about right now. So far, I believe that the government of Canada has approved the uh, Pfizer-BioNTech uh, vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. Um, I believe that there's you know hundreds of thousands of doses being sent over to Canada and being um, you know offered to Canadians, uh, you know healthcare workers and seniors. Um, as, as you know, this new year is, uh, you know, coming upon us and, uh, going through, is there anything that we should be concerned about whether it comes to the rollout of the vaccine? Do you guys think that the government can, uh, properly, you know, push this through? And I know that we are, you know, liberal minded, uh, and we like this government, uh, and what they're doing so far, but do you think that when it comes to anything, the opposition says, any concerns in general regarding the rollout of the vaccine? Is there anything we should be concerned about? I don't think there's a lot to be uh, concerned about with the vaccine. Like I don't think uh, with, or with the rollout that is, I mean, I think they've got a smart, uh, a smart person in charge of it there, General Fortin. And I think, uh, you know, I, I think it's probably one of the benefits that the Canadian process will have is that as at, as at every kind of stage of the, of the way the pandemic has been dealt with so far, is that I think it'll be led by experts and people who are officials who are nonpartisan, who who have the experience in these roles to lead these kind of procedures and coordinate this kind of response. And I think that's been a real asset of the way Canada's approached the the pandemic, and that it hasn't become as politicized as it could be, and has as it has been in other countries. And I think you know I'm hopeful that that'll continue with the vaccine rollout. Uh, so I don't, I don't foresee any challenges uh, as of right now. That said, I haven't, I haven't actually heard um, what I haven't, I haven't heard any specific concerns from opposition parties or other, other kinds of people. So um, can't speak to those specifically. But there, there's not, there's no kind of single concern that comes to mind right away uh, at at this point about the about the rollout of the vaccine and and the immunization across the country. I would say for me, one of my concerns on the horizon would be misinformation surrounding the vaccine and its effectiveness and the kind of reactions that Canadians are having. 
just given the kind of algorithms and the affordances of social media, we have to be concerned about the kinds of information that people are receiving. They might not intentionally be seeking out information which supports anti-vaxxer views, but we really have to be careful to ensure that the science and kind of health focus that the government has taken with the vaccine, both the federal and provincial governments, is then translated in the kind of information that Canadians are seeing on social media and just in our media environment generally as the vaccine process continues to roll out. Well, yeah, and definitely. And, and Anessa, you brought up a great point about the anti-vaxxer movement. Uh, and this is a great segue into, you know, the House of Commons and MPs and what they're up to. We have, you know, in the Conservative Party, there's people like Derek Sloan, who are like, you know, sort of empowering the anti-vaccine movement. And it's just sort of, I, I find it really funny what's going on in the Conservative Party right now, because you have Aaron O'Toole, who's trying to, you know, keep the whole show together. Uh, at first, he was being very critical of the whole, you know, vaccine rollout saying, you know, how come other countries are going to be getting the vaccine before Canada? And then, you know, we were pretty much ahead of many countries and we're doing great. So there's not much for him to complain about. But then when people brought it up to him that, hey, like you're talking about the vaccine rollout and you have people in your caucus who are anti-vaxxers and empowering people who have this belief that this vaccine is like, you know, some government scheme or whatever. Uh, he He's essentially not stepped up to the stage and said, you know, this, this isn't the type of view that our party holds. And this is not the type of view that we want Canadians to be, uh, you know, thinking as well and, and spreading this type of, you know, I guess, essentially lies and uh, conspiracy theories. So how would you guys rate Aaron O'Toole's leadership from one to 10 so far? I mean, he's failed to really, uh, you know, properly come out and condemn Derek Sloan's views, anti-vaxxer views, um, but he's also trying to sort of unify the party and make sure that all, you know, both progressive conservatives and both, you know, the people who are on the far right have sort of a place to vote for essentially in the conservative party in the next election, whenever it may be. So how would you guys rate Aaron O'Toole's leadership? Uh, Anessa, do you want to go first? Sure. I would say I find his approach to leadership right now is he's trying to be something to everybody. Like he's trying to dabble with kind of left politics, pushing like a carbon plan. Whereas he's also leaving people like Derek Sloan in caucus, trying to appeal to the social conservatives and the entire base, which essentially put him in that leadership position first off. So I would say he's spreading himself a bit thin. His brand awareness and his like party awareness is kind of, it's not great right now. And I would say probably the biggest thing that we've seen from him is the party rebrand. Like we've seen the new logo, trying to kind of copy the Air Force's uh, logo there. So I would say probably out of 10, I would give him a five. Cause I mean, he's trying to be too much of everything at once as leader. I, I think he's really got a tough job. And, and it's because not only are you the opposition leader and you're constantly fighting an uphill battle against the government of the day and, uh, and the natural uh, airtime and advantages that that position uh, accrues to that or that position confers on that party. But he's also trying to do that within the context of the COVID pandemic, when uh, there, there's high, there, there's just inherently high uh, in Canada anyway, popularity uh, of incumbent leaders, of incumbent premiers. You've seen several premiers go to the polls uh, to, you know, who had minority governments and they were able to translate elections uh, into majority governments. Um, and, and the kind of the natural instinct uh, on the part of the population, it appears to 
to want to trust their leaders and, and to just kind of rally behind leaders, both at the federal and provincial level. So I think he's kind of uh, running up against that, which is maybe hampering his, his performance a bit. Uh, and, you know, for that reason, I don't know if I can really give him a rating yet because he's only been in the position a few months and, and he's really had those difficulties. Um, and we will see, I think, kind of getting into the new year uh, as he's, as he's been in the position more, we'll see where he's at. And certainly if, uh, if there's an election sooner rather than later, then uh, I think it'll really kind of, um, kind of equalize the airtime in a way that that will kind of allow him to either show off his his ability and his skill leading his party or it may potentially provide stumbling blocks that that he'll run into and uh i I think you know all that to say that uh his his leadership so far has been defined by factors that he hasn't necessarily had a lot of control over uh and and i you know any leader really would i think have a hard time um, fighting that current, you know, other, other politicians who, who've entered, uh, the leadership at at that time, they haven't had a a global, uh, health pandemic to have to contend with while they're trying to, to push their own platform. That said there, it does provide many opportunities for him to contrast his party with the governing liberals, with the other parties in parliament, uh, notably the NDP in terms of parties fighting for a national result. Um, that that has he has he taken advantage of them potentially not as much i haven't really seen a lot of news coverage or a lot of media coverage um to indicate that he's really kind of carving out a space for himself as an alternative to the liberals uh and to the ndp in parliament uh certainly he's been critiquing and his party has been has been uh critiquing and pointing out the the uh what what they would see as the flaws in the government's approach so far and uh, as 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 we as as the country gets more and more the benefit of hindsight into how the liberals the federal liberals that is have handled this this pandemic and the situation um, how their response has been there could be more of an opening for the conservatives to do that but I think as of as of right now he hasn't really broken through in in terms of national consciousness um, in terms of being a leader and the kind of vision he wants to put forward. Uh, and I think you see that reflected in the Conservatives' current polling numbers as well. Definitely, for sure. And um, Aaron O'Toole, from the start, has sort of, uh, you know, I guess, tried to make his brand more appealing to potential Liberal voters by saying, you know, hey, I'm an MP in the greater Toronto area. He's the MP for Durham. And he said he's tried to both appeal to more progressive uh, voters while also appealing to uh, more center-right conservatives. And I think, I think, but he's not done a good job because uh, in, in the past month, he made those terrible comments regarding residential schools and the residential school system that sort of blew up in his face because he made comments essentially, um, you know, making excuses for the system uh, saying that it, you know it had good intentions and it, it was just very very gross and unsettling uh, and if if you want to be appealing to a wide variety of voters don't don't make comments like that right so I think I think he's definitely you know not been doing well when it's come to appealing to uh, you know more progressive voters but I guess when you're a conservative and you're trying to appeal to the center right as well, perhaps uh, he's been doing a so-so job. 
But um, it's you mentioned the the potential aspects that may have for elections uh, that happen during this pandemic, and the federal election is something that is undecided as as to you know when the date might be. We do not know when there will be a federal election, although many do speculate that with you know a fall economic statement a couple months ago, uh, and uh, with a, a spring budget on the horizon that the parliament will be voting on. Uh, there's the potential of a vote of non-confidence and they're potentially triggering, triggering an election. Um, so with that in mind, do you guys think that a liberal majority is essentially guaranteed with all the you know great work that is uh, that the prime minister and the liberal team has been doing? I mean, as you said, there's never been a pandemic like this in recent history and we can't really compare it to the past, but as is, we've been a leader when it comes to the vaccine rollout, um, uh, we've contained it pretty well when, you know, looking down south, the U.S. Do you guys think that the, you know, the Trudeau government and the liberals are essentially guaranteed a majority with the work that they've done? I, I, so I think there's, I think there's two parts to this. I think the first one is that, yes, I agree that, that Canada's response nationally led by the liberal government, led by the prime minister and the cabinet and, and, and their team, the federal liberals, I, I think it's been good. And I think, and, and, you know, I, I've pretty much agreed with a lot of what they've brought out. I think the economic support has been comprehensive for different sectors of the population, uh, different kinds of organizations. Uh, and I think on the healthcare side, and I kind of alluded to this earlier in the discussion that Canada has done a really good job making sure that the response is appropriately not uh, politicized to a degree that would impede the effectiveness of that response. And I think a lot of credit can go to the government for that because, you know, politicians uh, in, in, in many instances could benefit from politicizing an issue such as this and, and the federal liberal team hasn't done that. And so I think a lot of credit goes to them uh, for, for being that responsible national leader on the response. But I think it's, I think it would be premature to say that it, it guarantees them a majority or that a majority is, um, is, 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 is guaranteed. I think, and, and I'll actually connect this back to the, the, what we were just talking about with the conservative leader is that the conservatives can win when the election is just about the economy. So when the election is heavily focused on economic issues, taxes, growth, and jobs, um, then you can see the conservatives can be a lot more competitive because in the vote rich greater Toronto area, uh, uh, there are a lot of voters, they don't have a, they don't have a very hard partisan affiliation and, and they'll swing from one voter to a next in a lot of different ridings. And, and, and when you can appeal to, to that group with, with the kind, when the conservatives have been successful in the past, it's because they have brought forward economic proposals and stuck with very strong discipline to those proposals uh, in terms of their campaign they brought that forward in an election. So in the next election, I think the liberals can definitely have a record, a very strong record that they can point to with pride and say, this is what we've done in response to the pandemic. We took responsibility and we stepped up to the plate. And if you want this kind of response to, to continue, uh, you should vote to reelect us. And, and uh, you know, myself, and I'm sure a lot of other people will have no problem doing that. But at the same time, uh, the climate of elections is volatile. And uh, I think it was um, uh, former British Prime Minister Harold Macmillan at one time was asked, um, you know, what, what could possibly derail the agenda of, of, of an incumbent government? And his response was events. 
And, you know, uh, so as, as we get further into 2021, uh, events could start to unfold that could complicate the Liberals' re-election plan. And the narrative of the election could be very different from, uh, from simply focusing on, uh, in a, in a, on a single, in a single-sided way, could be very different from just focusing on, um, on the Liberals' record and the Liberals' accomplishment in uh, uh, having served as the government that presided over the, the first part, at any rate, of Canada's COVID response. And because of that, I think they, they, I think they and, and uh, most people should not take for granted that the Liberals would uh, win a majority. I think they're in a very strong position to be reelected, uh, certainly if, you, if you're the kind of person who pays attention to poll numbers, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, have trust that, the, that there would be a very easy re-election to a, to a majority uh, at this point. Yeah, so I'd like to add, um, agree with what Henry said there. And I'd also like to add that it's really important to take a look at what's happening in the provinces. So if we can see in Alberta right now with polling numbers, Jason Kenney is has tanked, his um, popularity has gone right down. People are starting to look at other alternatives in Alberta, which you know doesn't happen very often. Like they're usually very conservative focused. And we should also be looking at British Columbia. They just had their provincial election a few months ago, which saw John Horgan and the provincial NDP go from a minority to a majority government, which I believe we've seen a small bump in the federal polling for the NDP kind of in British Columbia itself. With that being said, though, a lot of people are suggesting that BC might be a battleground next provincial election. Like the Greens do usually typically win seats here, especially on the island. However, their new leader really hasn't kind of increased public awareness or popularity of the party that we've seen since she was elected, I'd say in October. So with that in mind, BC could be a place where the federal liberals could increase their seat count. I believe we're currently at 11 and there's potential for us to go up to like 18, 19 win back seats that were lost in the 2019 election. And I've actually been hearing from friends, family on the ground here who are center left voters who might vote liberal depending on the election. And they are saying, we think that the Liberal Party and Justin Trudeau have been doing a really good job throughout this pandemic. So therefore, like it's not guaranteed that the Liberals would win a minority or a majority given whenever the election is. But I think given the events as though the provinces, the support could build up to give them a majority government next round. I think too, talking about provinces, you really want to look at Quebec because in the last election, uh, the Liberals did quite well in Ontario. They kept, uh, I think, all of their GTA seats and, and added to them. So that's one big um, chunk of the country that any party needs to win if it wants to have a hope of forming a, a, a federal government. Um, but they lost in Quebec, or they didn't, I think they probably uh, came first place in Quebec, but they lost seats in Quebec to the Bloc Québécois. And um, so I think you would you would also want to pay attention there, and if it looks like they're if it looks like they're unable to win back those seats, if the Bloc Québécois is still uh, is still polling at a sufficient level uh, that they could retain thirty or so seats, then it becomes very difficult for the Liberals to um, to win a to win a majority again, uh, even 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 despite the the pandemic response. Right. That's not to say that other you know there are other parts of the country. Uh, there were seats lost in Atlantic Canada. There were seats lost in the prairies. There were seats lost in BC. So 
uh, you know, really Ontario, I think was the only place that stayed stable. Um, but yeah, you'll want to, you'll want to pay attention to Quebec, I think is kind of the point I'm making in terms of looking at, uh, what, what will be the composition of the next government. And, and actually it's interesting. It interestingly connects to Aaron O'Toole because he's someone who both in his leadership campaign and then now, um, as the incumbent leader has, has, has been making very, uh, overt and uh, focused efforts to appeal to voters in Quebec and uh, to boost his party's profile there. Uh, and so that'll be another dynamic at play is that you'll have, uh, you'll have that uh, intense three-way competition uh, for seats in Quebec. And, and of course, we'll see if the NDP can retain their single seat in Quebec, but I don't think they'll uh, be a, a factor the way they were in 2011 in terms of winning uh, a lot of seats in that province. Yeah, yeah, very good points. And um, definitely Quebec is a very interesting province. Um, the prime minister, when choosing the cabinet last year, uh, he made sure to put, um, you know, some Quebec MPs who, you know, Francophone speaking, he made sure to put them in very high positions in the cabinet to sort of, you know, give off, uh, you know, a sort of new style of brand and make, you know, make sure that Quebec voters see that, you know, this is, this is just a team of, you know, great Quebec um, elected officials. Um, and I think, I think you, you mentioned a good point about Aaron O'Toole in Quebec and he, his French isn't the most perfect. And it's a good question as to whether that will be something that will impact the conservatives likability. Um, Cause you know, once you put Aaron O'Toole on a stage with, you know, Justin Trudeau and he's, you know, fluent in French, of course, he's, you know, spoke French since he was a kid, a very interesting uh, impact on the way voters, you know, sort of look at these two uh, leadership candidates. Um, you guys talked about, I think it was Anessa, you talked about how in BC, you know, people that are sort of, you know, leaning liberal, but also are sort of perhaps considering the other options, whether it be the NDP, the Conservatives, or the Greens, and the Greens have, you know, their new leader, Annemie Paul, um, and, you know, she hasn't really sort of, you know, come out in the spotlight yet. Uh, she did lose her, uh, you know, see, uh, you know, uh, her election in the uh, Toronto Center riding um, to Marcy Ian and, uh, you know, sort of lost a potential to come to the House of Commons, be able to speak and get people to sort of know her more. Um, and with the fall economic statement, uh, our first female finance minister, Christian Freeland, uh, she announced, you know, $100 billion in these you know, new investments and these, these, you know, variety of supports for Canadians. And one thing that really stood out to me was her national, uh, you know, childcare plan that she essentially promised and said that this would be something that will be included in the um, 2021 budget. So do you guys think that childcare being such a, you know, important issue for so many, you know, middle-class uh, Canadians, working-class Canadians who have kids and perhaps are spending hundreds of dollars on a monthly basis for childcare programs. If the if the federal government was to not only they promised this program but put it in the budget, could that perhaps impact the way um, voters in Quebec, in British Columbia, in Ontario as well, uh, the way that they vote? Um, could could that actually be something that boosts the liberal um, the liberal likability in Canada? I think it could be an interesting example of the federal liberal party, uh, perhaps borrowing ideas from, um, from the NDP platform and, 
uh, and, and rendering them in a, in a form that, that the liberals would then implement, which if you look, if you look in the past uh, in, in Canadian history, uh, the Liberal Party has been successful at um, consolidating ideas from different ends of the, uh, from different sides of the political spectrum, from different parties and different uh, movements and groups in Canada and, and, and enacting those in, in some form. Uh, and it's contributed to the, the party's durability and, and uh, persistence over the years so I think I think the childcare example is is kind of an interesting parallel to that. Uh, I don't think it would really have a. I, I don't think it would. I, I don't anticipate that it would have kind of a, a province by province breakdown to it in terms of its impact. I think it would be more so um, something that would uh, would impact that key voting demographic uh, of of younger parents um, who who it could end up being a very attractive. Um, platform point for them if in the next election liberals the liberals can can point to that uh, can point to national child care as an initiative that they're actually already implementing so what other if other if other parties uh, have have critiques of that or have ways of doing it differently the liberals could have a bit of an edge by saying well we're already going ahead with it look at this investment um, and I think that would probably resonate across across provinces with that demographic I don't think I don't anticipate that it would be a differential reaction yeah I would agree there I would say it probably won't have a province by province specific breakdown however I know British Columbia I believe under John Horgan has been looking at $10 a day childcare. It's not a new idea. Although the federal government would be working in partnership with the provinces, I think the kind of relationship the federal government have with the provinces might affect the rollout of the funding and the programs themselves. But I don't think that would really be something in the minds of voters. But I think even though it's still kind of on the agenda to be done. I think it really needs to get done or more tangible steps in the budget need to be taken before the next election. As we know, women have been the most negatively impacted by the pandemic, something called a she session. Um, women are now being placed with more childcare duties and whatnot. So I really think it's a good path forward for the liberals heading into the next election and just as this year rolls out in general. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I, I only brought that up because uh, it, it's definitely a big factor in the liberals, you know, continuous play of, you know, we're the party here working hard for the middle class. Um, and I know that the conservatives are definitely going to try their best to uh, try to appeal. And, you know, the middle class and just hardworking Canadians have been through a lot during this pandemic. So uh, it'll be interesting to see the way parties try to appeal to, you know, millions of Canadians after you know, going through so much uh, during this COVID-19 pandemic, it's, it's been, you know, so many small businesses have been shut down and we, you know, we've seen in Ontario, um, you know, I'm amongst those people who are complaining to the Ford government about how they're leaving, you know, big corporations, you know, allowing them to be open during these lockdowns and uh, it's hurting small businesses because they're not allowed to be open. Um, so there's lots of factors when it comes to that, definitely for sure. Uh, but as we sort of wrap up here, I want to ask you guys just a simple question. What's something that you guys look forward to in this, uh, you know, in this new year, uh, you know, hopefully knock on wood, all good stuff. Inessa, you go first on this one, eh? Okay. So in terms of, I mean, there's lots to look forward to this year. It's a new year. There's lots happening with the vaccine rollout and the success and 
bringing the wave of the pandemic down. In terms of legislation, I'm a huge policy wonk. I love looking at the legislation that's going through the House of Commons. So this past fall, the Liberal government introduced Bill C-10, the modernization of the Broadcasting Act, which will be looking at the taxation of entities such as Netflix, making sure the regulations are fair for streaming sites and whatnot. So I'm personally quite excited about the Broadcasting Act going to committee and hopefully passing to modernize those systems for Canadians. There's also Bill C-11, which is looking at uh, data and privacy and the protection of Canadians' privacy, which is something I am personally very concerned about. And these are regulations would need to be modernized. The government has also taken tangible steps for their clean recovery, green recovery with new announcements for targets to hit by 2030. So I think we're looking at a positive year. We're looking at a green recovery and the federal government will continue to be there for Canadians with all kinds of supports. Yeah, definitely. And I just want to add that Bill C-11 is is one of my favorite bills that is currently, um, you know, I think it's in first reading and um, it, it, it will literally be like a global leader in legislation for consumer protection and uh, consumer privacy, right? So um, Henry, how about you? I think on on I, I think kind of in a in a global sense I'm most I'm hopeful and I'm looking forward to uh, to the world and and to Canada and to our specific communities um, continuing to recover from what I hope is is kind of the worst of the pandemic I hope uh, this this new variant that was recently made headlines I hope that is contained and I'm looking forward, you know, I, I think there's been, I think the estimate is that by September, 2021, all Canadians who want a vaccine will get one. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to kind of the, the resumption, you know, even things as, as simple as uh, potentially getting to do classes in person again at university. Um, I, I'm looking forward to those kind of things and to seeing the recovery and, and the tangible, changes that'll happen in, you know, I, I'll, I'll, as I'll experience them, but, but as, as will happen in people's lives, um, as hopefully people begin to put the pandemic behind them. Um, and I, I, I think as well, uh, just kind of on a, on a, in a political sense, I, I would be remiss uh, not to mention that I'm looking forward to seeing the first months of the Joe Biden presidency in the United States uh, as he is due to be inaugurated in a number of days now, and I, I you know, I just think that'll be uh, that'll be a, a, an interesting thing to watch, and uh, hopefully, it won't be as as head spinning as the past four years have been. Um, and I think that it'll it'll have really interesting ramifications in Canada and globally, as as these things do. So that'll be certainly something to watch. Uh, and on a personal note, I'm looking forward to applying to law school in the fall. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Uh, yeah, well, uh, good luck with that. And definitely a Joe Biden Thank presidency. You. I mean, in the four years that Donald Trump was president, he never once visited Canada, like to make a you know state visit. And I, you know, I personally, I took that personally. Very insulting that a U.S. president would not want to visit our great country. I mean so much to do in Ottawa, right? Like, you know, play with the snow or whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do look forward to seeing Joe Biden. Uh, hopefully he will, you know, in his first year of his presidency, make a visit to Canada, make a visit to Ottawa, perhaps, you know, come in the House of Commons. Um, it, it will definitely be a sight to see for sure. Uh, well, thank you to both of you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
Yeah, thank you. I've, I've appreciated coming on to discuss some of these issues and topics, and I hope it's, uh, I hope it's been informative and insightful to the people listening, and I'm happy to, to join you again in the future, uh, and I hope you continue making these because it's, it's good podcasts. They're great episodes. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's, it's been a pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to more productive discussions as 2021 rolls out. Definitely. I'd love to have you both on uh, sometime, um, you know, in the coming months, in the coming weeks. Uh, it was a very fun time, very great conversations. Thank you to Henry and Anessa. All the best. Bye. Bye.